0: The reading of the Scriptures from Psalm 73, so I invite your attention to the public reading of God's Word recorded for us and numbered as Psalm 73. A Psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. loftily. they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are wicked, always at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went to the sanctuary of God Then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places and make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant Those who are far from you shall perish. You shall put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. While I uh, trust
1: it's uh, rare, I'm not unmindful that uh, Christians on occasion leave the faith uh, over the question of evil. One of the great uh, philosophical questions of our age. Uh, How can there be God if there is evil? How can there be concentration camps? How can there be violence against men and women? Uh, Surely, since these things are true, there there cannot be a God. Our our author, uh, Asaph, is uh, struggling with this very issue. And he, uh, he comes close to leaving the faith except that God intervenes and uh, checks his fall. Uh, and he leaves us with, uh, with wisdom, uh, the wisdom of God that's the answer to this perplexing question. And it is, uh, of course... Uh, an answer that uh, our own age, with incredible evil, uh, certainly needs to hear. Uh, this is a uh, classically known as a wisdom psalm. I think it's quite self-evident uh, why that is the case. Uh, the psalmist is struggling with a perplexing question, and he, God gives him wisdom. Uh, it's not unlike you and me, you and I confront difficult questions in life, and Absent the wisdom of God, we would uh, slip, but God intervenes in the case of Asaph. Uh, The particular uh, notion that he struggles with is, as I have suggested, he sees the wicked prospering and the righteous struggling. If you will, he sees... uh, He sees the evil winning the game. How can that be? So there must not be a God. Uh, Because of this, he comes uh, close to losing his faith. Uh, The first verse in my mind is a a climactic summary of the entire process of his struggle. Uh, He sets uh, in this uh, first verse uh, really the answer to every question that all of us have regarding the Christian faith. Uh, and it speaks to a process uh, that he struggled with, uh, the test of his faith in first 14 verses. Uh, and then he, uh, he recovers. Uh, in my own mind, certainly it's true that he recovers, but it's more radical than that. Uh, God recovers him uh, and gives him the answer to resolve this perplexing question in verses 15 to 18. But we, we begin, surely God is good to Israel, uh, to those who are pure in heart. Uh, God's, uh, God's goodness, of course, uh, is the answer to every, every perplexing question that we have regarding the Christian faith. That God's goodness is that perfection of his nature by which he deals kindly with his people. And uh, Asaph is numbered among the people of God. And the goodness of God is what will catch him. and We will see that in, in the text this morning. Uh, you and I need to understand that we live in a fallen world. Uh, and yet, even in the trials of our faith, God is good to his people. Uh, and that is, in and of itself, a profound philosophical issue, is it not? Because the goodness of God is selective. doesn't come to all men. Uh, I understand the issue of common grace and God's saving grace, but here the goodness of God is going to catch Asaph. Uh, And that in and of itself is a profound act of God's sovereign grace. It's interesting to me that uh, he also defines who Israel is. We typically say, well, who's Israel? Well, natural sons and daughters of Abraham. But he... Is more selective in his uh, definition to those who are pure in heart. Uh, you and I need to grapple with another profound philosophical issue, and that is that the church can uh, also be divided in just such a way. Countless millions have their name on a church roll, but it's more selective than that. Uh, the pure in heart is. Uh, uh, those who are single-minded in their devotion to God. That regardless of the trials they persevere in the faith, uh, they know that God is worthy of our devotion. Even though great evil comes and clings to our our, uh, our shoulders and perhaps wraps around our neck, we, we know something that the vast majority uh, have neglected, and that is... Uh, Uh, that we are to be devoted to God uh, because of his answer to this perplexing philosophical question of evil in our world. Uh, And that in and of itself is a key to every trial. Uh, I will tell you that they will come and knock on your door and gain entrance to your life. And uh, you must hold fast and know for sure that uh, we are to remain devoted to God because of his devotion to us that we will see in a moment. Uh, so let's begin looking at the trial of Asaph. He's going to try to reconcile the presence of God with evil. and He's had a hard time doing that. Uh, but we begin with, uh, we get, begin with evil. Uh, and the problem with evil is uh, the evil seemed to get away with it. And that's really frames Asaph's uh, trial. Why is it that they get away with it and uh, I jaywalk and God catches me? Or the sheriff does. Perplexing issue. Uh, the, uh, uh, the verb uh, that he comes close to uh, stumbling uh, speaks to Serious moral failure it can also be defined as turning, namely turning away from God. I've seen Christians do that. They encounter some issue in life and they cannot reconcile it with God and so they, they turn away. Probably the most uh, perplexing story of that is uh, its uh, occasion in a wise man's heart, Solomon. Solomon. We read in First Kings chapter eleven, verse four: For it came about when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods. That word for turning is uh, the word here uh, that he comes close to stumbling and turning away from God, losing that single-minded devotion, regardless of the trials that's definitive of what true faith is. Thankfully, we read in our text uh, the adverb, almost. It it catches, something catches Asaph, And we will look at that momentarily. Uh, But evil doesn't win the day in his heart uh, because God will check him That in and of itself is a perplexing issue because God doesn't check everybody, but He checks Asaph. Uh, Asaph, again, verses the first part of the psalm uh, speaks of his uh, trial. Let's look at uh, uh, the specifics of the trial. Uh, Jumps out at us at the beginning of verse three I was envious. I was envious perplexing issue for our culture. We are seemingly making envy part of the fabric of uh, American discourse. And God tells us not to envy our neighbor, his wife, his company, his car. Whatever it is, God says, do not envy. But it gains uh, access to Asaph's heart. And begins to uh, plunder his heart. In this case, he envies uh, the arrogant as he sees the prosperity of the wicked, and that the righteous uh, seem to be on the backside of this perplexing question. Uh, the word for envy is a very powerful emotion. It's a word used of, of uh, Rachel's jealousy over Leah because Rachel cannot bear a son, and Leah is simply pouring them out as if nothing can stop her. And uh, Envy uh, knocks on the door of uh, Rachel's heart, and she invites Envy to come in and to speak with her. It's also a word used of uh, Joseph's uh, brother, their jealousy over him. He's the youngest, but he seems to get everything. God seems to bless him in a powerful way and they get chump change. Begins to brothers begin to envy him and they take a bad turn in life. In our case, it's simply a complaint. The psalmist is complaining. Uh, they seemingly don't the the uh, arrogant uh, uh, seemingly don't have to struggle in life as he is. Uh, notice, notice the verb in verse 3. The uh, second part of the poetic line, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Uh, in uh, Genesis chapter 3, Eve, Eve saw the tree that it was good. Uh, Asaph sees uh, the wicked that they are good. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 2, the sons of God uh, saw the daughters of men that they were good. Their beauty, but literally in the Hebrew Bible, it's good. Uh, You and I need to see that God is good. And that we should be very careful about taking that adjective and applying it to life. Uh, Because what is essential that we see in all things, that God is good uh, to his people. And this really begins his trial. That an observation begins to turn his heart. A reminder that you and I need to be profoundly careful uh, about uh, understanding uh, what life is all about by what we see. Because that in and of itself is a way to danger. Uh, Be very careful with processing what you see from a jaded reality, Uh, because if you begin to interpret life visually uh, rather than theologically, you will find yourself in deep trouble, and the question is liable uh, to destroy you, that you and I are not to judge things visually, but theologically. The theology is that God is good to his sons and daughters, regardless of what they see. Well, they're prospering. They don't appear to suffer. They seemingly have none of the distresses in life. They wear pride and violence and act with impunity and prosper at the expense of others. They are fat and seemingly flourish. They have contempt for the law and it does not seem to apply to them. They speak against heaven and the laws of God and nothing happens to them. Their speech is unconstrained. The outcome of all of what Asaph sees is that he begins to grow bitter. uh, Wonders. Maybe there's not a God. Maybe my Tom is a young child uh, which they taught me the catechism was a pure waste of time. Because surely... In a universe that's rightly ordered, the wicked should not prosper. But they are, and I'm not. What's worse is uh, his uh, his attitude and his bad theology begins to affect the church. Notice verse, uh, verse 10. Therefore, His people, God's people, return to this place Namely, the prosperity of the wicked. And the waters of abundance are drunk by them. Well, if the wicked get away with it, why shouldn't I? Remind you of, of a lodgment that this theology has in place in the Christian church, the Health and Work Movement. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. You come to Jesus Christ, everything will turn out wonderful. That's the theology here. Problem is, you teach people that when they're young, it's pretty easy to do. It's when they turn old and begin to have problems, have miscarriages, lose a job, lose a favorite uncle, that envy begins to knock on their door and gain access to their hearts. And they say God doesn't know verse 11. They act as if there is no God. And the complaint reaches its climax in the final two verses of this section. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in my innocence. For I've been stricken all day long, chastened every morning. I mean, you can tell that the, this issue has him by the throat. He's beginning to question why he has followed the law. Why he's loved his neighbor and loved his God. Because the wicked are prospering. Violence seemingly wins the day. Envy is accepted as part of American political discourse. So what good is believing in Jesus Christ? Uh, He saw, and he reasons poorly. Well, that's the trial. It's not just his trial. It's an everyday trial. Uh, Because bad things will happen to you, will knock on your door. You'll begin to wonder, where is God? We we have the resolution to this perplexing question, verses fifteen to twenty-eight. But let me remind you, it does not come by seeing. I I recall again to your memory. Eve saw. The sons of God saw. Lot saw the cities of the plain. And they appeared to be great places to go live and to start a family and business. Almost costing his faith. It certainly cost his wife, to be sure. Uh, to, uh, to read the last chapter of the book, the lawless do not get away with it. And God's people will realize that He is their inheritance both now and forever. Verses 15-28. to 28. Thankfully, uh, Asaph uh, does not verbalize his complaint in the church. And that in and of itself is a turning point of wisdom. Notice verse 15. If I had said, I will speak thus... Behold, I would have betrayed the generation of thy children. That one of the things that catches him is not to take his complaint public because it will ruin the hearts of others in the church. That in and of itself is a profoundly wise statement. One of the things that should check our behavior is it will harm the church. One of the things that should check what we verbalize and how we speak and how we talk that it might do harm to the church, which is essential, the people of God, that God is good to his people, regardless of what we see. And in his trouble, Asaph does something else that's a profound note of incredible wisdom. He goes to church. Look at verse 17. Until I came into the sanctuary of God. can't be dogmatic, but I speculate he hears a sermon. And one of the reasons I say that is because of the counsel of God that uh, eventually uh, is his uh, net that catches his fall. Yeah, but nonetheless, he, uh, he hears a sermon. And the resolution is really so simple. Uh, latter part of verse 17, then I perceive their end. And it's their end that breaks his fall. I'm reminded of Psalm 37:2, For they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Uh, something of the theology of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40. All flesh is as grass. But there are some seasons in life where the grass seemingly is abundant and green and flourishing. And the flowers bloom and seemingly characterizes the lives even of the wicked until God blows upon them and the flower sheds its beauty grass turns brown all flesh is as grass uh, when God blows upon it and that's the end the end of the wicked for when you consider the end of the wicked they are not to be envied at all rather rather I say this in all humility, they are to be pitied because their end is so incredibly tragic. Asaph had forgotten the future, but the preacher reminds him. And so we read in verse 18 that God has uh, cast them down or set them in slippery places and cast them down to destruction. The word for slippery places is uh, literally smooth. Uh, It is used of idols and the idolater. The metalsmith takes a piece of uh, raw metal and begins to smooth it out and to fashion it into an idol. And that, of course, is profound uh, profound wickedness given that uh, there are no idols. There's only one true God, the living God. I think it's a reminder here that uh, the wicked have made uh, material things, prosperity in and of itself, uh, into an idol. They've begun to worship it. They have become rank materialists because there's no God to them, and uh, that is their God. And so God makes them smooth. Uh, God says to them, uh, "You want to worship idols? I'll make you smooth, and in the smoothness you will slip away." Be cast down to destruction. There's a more profound, definitive way that this occurred. Uh, In the words of Moses, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32, would that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would discern their future. But they don't, they simply live for the present. That's their idol. And then, of course, the tragic words of verse 35. In due time their foot will slip, for the day of calamity is near, and the impending things are hastening upon them. It's like you get two events moving towards one another. It uh, compounds the speed with which it occurs. They are rushing uh, to serve uh, their idols and to get all that they can at the expense of whatever in judgment is rushing towards them. And the collision will be absolutely awful and terrible. In due time, their foot will slip. In a horrific moment, they're swept away. The psalmist says they're like a dream or a mirage. And someday they will wake up in eternity. And the dream will be gone forever. Forever. Remind you of uh, a series and psalmist, Psalm one, an Introduction to the Psalter. But they, the wicked, are not so. They are like the chad that the wind blows away. But there will come a time where God will blow upon the wicked, then they will be no more. But what happens uh, as Asaph is listening to this sermon goes way beyond uh, the end of the wicked. God uh, catches him and grace engages him. He describes his uh, spiritual condition as embittered. He says, I'm like like an animal that only acts by instinct. I've uh, long since lost the ability to discern the truth of the scriptures. A reminder by the way, of application, uh, it's quite uh, popular for Christians to uh, begin to say, well, I I don't feel too right today. And then all of a sudden, every Sunday, you never feel quite right. And pretty soon, uh, you can make it on Christmas and Easter and uh, maybe your birthday, whenever that occurs in your cycle of life, and then pretty soon, you're not there at all. Absent the Word, you will find yourself in a profoundly, Difficult position in life because it's the word that's going to checkmate Asaph and these ten thousand questions that he's been raising and he will come to one answer as he hears the sermon. We we read what happens to him in verses twenty three and twenty four in this checkmate of God in the sermon. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast taken hold of my right hand with thy counsel that will guide me and afterwards receive me to glory. Again, reconstitute the event. Asaph is slipping. He's almost gone over the edge. And God catches his hand. Because God is good to Israel, even to those who have a pure heart. God catches his hand, saves him from the brink. And the counsel guides him. That's why I think it's a sermon. The counsel of God that's found everywhere in the pages of Scripture and that you and I face many, many perplexing questions of life, and the counsel of God will always be the answer. That's why you should give yourself uh, to the study of God's Word, individually and corporately. And uh, you begin to play with that, and I will tell you, without counsel, the questions will eventually get you. Uh, The word guide here is a very dramatic word, in redemptive history. Exodus chapter 13 and verse 21. The pillar of fire and cloud by day guided Israel. The uh, Greek cognate, Greek translation of the Old Testament is used in John 16 13. The Spirit of God will guide you into all the truths one of the reasons that we give ourselves to the study of the truth, because it is there that God, by His Spirit, guides His people through the pitfalls of life. In the most beautiful sense, Revelation chapter 7, verse 17, the center of the throne is the shepherd. He will guide his sons to the springs of the water of life. Absent. Absent the right guides, you and I will fall away. In the grace of God, we are not absent. Our guides do not vacate us. They embrace us. And so Asaph writes, God catches him his right hand. And he gets the one true guide. Because God guides us through trials. I'm reminded of the theology of uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8. For as many as are the sons of God, these are being led by the Spirit of God. And where does the Spirit lead the sons of God but in times of tribulation? And then the outcome that the sons of God will overwhelmingly conquer and nothing can separate them from the love of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the path of being guided. That we conquer, we overcome, and that nothing can separate us. Not even perplexing questions like, in the presence of evil, where is God? And then afterwards you will receive me to glory. The more literal rendering of uh, that verb in the Hebrew text to me is much more beautiful than receive me to glory. literally to me the verb take you will guide me with your counsel and afterwards take me to glory the theology of the resurrection it is the greatest answer to all the perplexing questions of life that because Christ has been resurrected we will be resurrected and God will take us to glory the world can't have us. He does and He will. That's the great safety net that catches Asaph and catches us. It's really a beautiful picture that's found in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 24. And Enoch walked with God and he was not. For God took him. Profoundly beautiful essence of all of life and wisdom. To walk with God. Because in the end, glory will take us, envelop us, infuse us, and change us. And all of the tantalizing allurements of evil throughout all of life become chump change, to be totally rejected because of what constitutes our end. And so the slide stops for Asaph. Notice the progression. He is convicted by the sermon, engaged by grace, and makes a sterling confession. Verses 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And besides thee, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's his confession. Because God caught him and arrested him and taught him the truth. That God is the provision and not the prosperity of the wicked. Notice uh, something else that has now entered the equation. Uh, And that is God. God now. God is His strength now. God gives strength to His heart now. Verse 28, the nearness of God now. One of the reasons we need to go to church and to hear the sermon or to study our Bibles is to know that we have in the presence of God in our hearts now the greatest provision of all of life. That all of the greatest of the allurements of the world dim when God is in your heart. You Know Him now. The world does not know that. All that it has are cars and watches. and uh, Not that there's anything at all wrong with any of those things. But when you know God now, all of those things seemingly lose their hold upon your heart and the hold that God has becomes more and more and the world becomes less and less. That God is the provision and not the prosperity of the wicked. The answer is a relationship now and forever. He recognizes that His body will fail, but God is His rock and the heaven that is His end is incomparable. It's interesting that the battle has begun in his heart. That's where the argument has taken hold. He saw and envy entered his heart, and now God has caught him, and his heart recovers, and he professes that God is His provision today and forever. He concludes again, verse 26, his heart. It's a dramatic turn. It's a reminder to interpret the vagaries of life theologically and not visually. That you and I cannot look upon the world and judge the world temporally. We must judge it eternally. You and I cannot look at the world and uh, judge it visually. We need to judge it theologically. That's what catches Asaph. It's the wisdom for our souls and a life in which wickedness seemingly prospers. So, what's the conclusion of, of the trial versus? 27 to 28, he recapitulates everything that we have been studying. He recapitulates their ruin. Those who are far from thee will perish. I would simply remind you that uh, growing far away from God is a day-by-day journey. See it and understand it for what it is. And the incline of the journey will only grow sharper as you wander. The instate is you will perish. Asaph came close. Almost, the text says, but God caught His right hand from the precipice. His grace. Uh, the word... Uh, The word of those who are uh, destroyed, uh, who have been unfaithful to God, the word unfaithful is uh, that of the idolater who goes whoring after all the gods of the world, rejects the one true God. It's almost a commentary on American culture. But again, it's their ruin. They have made material gain an idol and rejected God. In contrast, uh, Asaph says being near God is his good. Uh, it's here that we've come full circle. Asaph began by telling us that God is good. And now he tells us here the nearness of God is his good. He's been recovered. Uh, the question uh, loses its allurement. He recognizes the fullness. He ends where he began. It's the supreme relationship of all of life. It is a refuge and a blessing to the soul. The nearness of God is good. 10,000 questions may knock on your door, but being near to God we will cover you from them all. You will find the nearness of God in Scripture. You will find the nearness of God in the sacraments and in church. Individually and corporately. Be there. Walk there. Walk with God. And he now knows that God is true prosperity now and forever. Consequently, the contrast of their end and our end settles the tension. Asaph has courted disaster, but God has rescued him. Caught him, guided him, and will take him into glory. That's wisdom. That's why this is a wisdom song. Uh, That is nothing more nor less than the sovereign grace of God. He catches one. I trust in grace, he has caught you. If he has not, he begins the catching in Jesus Christ. Because uh, ultimately, the greater answer of uh, all of these perplexing questions are Christological. That you and I need to interpret life eternally, theologically, and Christologically. That Christ drew near in the incarnation. He suffered evil. He defeated it. And he recovered for us the way to glory you're not a Christian, Uh, that's where you start, coming to the Savior, acknowledging that uh, evil has enveloped you, uh, is destroying you. You are slowly slipping away on all of your idols, and the speed will only grow greater and greater. Uh, The fall is arrested in Jesus Christ to flee to him, to know him, to hold fast upon Him knowing that you will someday learn that it is He that has caught you and is holding fast to you and is He that will take you to glory. That He teaches us blessed are the pure in heart. Hearts that are steadfast in love with Him rather than the world. And what is the outcome of that? They will see God. God will take them to glory. So that with God, you, uh, you get glory. Uh, the world will lose everything. We lose nothing. Uh, the nearness of God is our good. And the glory of God uh, causes our heart to chase Him. To walk with Him. To draw near to Him. To seek Him where He is found. In scripture and in church and in the sacraments, uh, knowing that uh, we too will be like Enoch. Uh, we will walk with God, and one day uh, we will not be, for God has taken us the glory. Uh, may that resolve all of our questions because of Jesus Christ, the way, the glory. And may we continue in that way. And may the questions of life hold on to us less and less, knowing that God holds us by our right hand, guides us by his counsel, and afterwards will take us to glory.